You're listening to the King's Oahu podcast. We hope today you're inspired, your faith is built up, and that you're encouraged by today's word. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to be reading verses 14 through 16 and verse 37 through 41. So would you uh, join me? I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you have that version, feel free to read it out loud with me. Let's read the word of the Lord. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now turn with me to verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, There is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Come on, let's just begin to pray. Father, I thank you for this awesome moment you've given me to be with your people here in Honolulu. Thank you for what you're doing in this house. I thank you for what you're doing throughout Kings. And Lord, as I share this message of what you have done this last year and what you're going to do this year, I pray for a special anointing. Come on, people, let's pray in the Holy Ghost. Spirit of the living God, come in power. Come in might. Come upon me. Give me great liberty in preaching. I pray for great liberty for your people to receive your word. Give us ears to hear, a heart to respond, eyes to see. When we leave today, may we leave knowing we've heard from you and our lives are changed. Drop into our hearts the gift of faith and we'll be sure to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We live in two realities, the physical and the spiritual. Physical is living in the time-space continuum. The spiritual is the eternal. They affect each other. What you do in one sphere affects the other and vice versa. And this becomes very clear in the story of Joseph. At 17 years old, certain events happened that brought about an intersection of these two realities in Joseph's life. Joseph is despised by his brothers. Now, there's a reason for it. Number one, Joseph wouldn't hide things from his father. If things were bad, he told his father that they were bad. And he was assigned to go visit some of his half-brothers who were sons of two of the concubines of his father, Jacob. And they did some bad things, and Joseph told his father about it. That didn't go over very well with his half-brothers. And secondly, Jacob loved Joseph in a special way because he was the child, the firstborn child of the wife he loved deeply. In fact, he had made a special coat for Joseph, a coat of many colors. Many of you have heard the Bible story about it. 
But you may not realize what that meant. It wasn't just a nice coat that he happened to give one of his sons. That coat in the culture represented that this son, although he's not the firstborn son, his father saw him as the firstborn. At least he was firstborn in his eyes. Well, Joseph had two dreams from God, profound dreams. And it caused his brothers to hate him even more. The first dream was a dream that they were out gathering wheat and putting them into bundles and the sheaves of wheat stood and the 11 sheaves, each representing one of his brothers, bowed down to Joseph. Then he had another dream from God and this time it was the sun, moon and stars, 11 stars bowed down to Joseph. Well, you can imagine now how much his brothers hate him. Well, their chance came when his father asked Joseph to go visit his brothers who were raising sheep in a long distance away from where they lived. They saw him coming and they decided to try to kill him. They threw him in a pit, as you know the story, and about that time, some slave traders were coming through. They ended up selling Joseph as a slave. And he was brought down to Egypt. But now they had another problem on their hands. What are they going to tell their dad? So they deceived their father into thinking that he was killed by a wild beast. They took the coat and they killed a, an animal and they poured the blood on. And of course, his father assumed that his son now has died. But there's something that they didn't count on. Neither did anybody else count on. There was something about Joseph that got God's attention. And what you'll notice is that it says in chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph. Everybody say that with me. The Lord was with Joseph. In fact, five times in that one chapter, that's said. And in verse 23, it states, the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. How many wouldn't mind God doing that for you? Come on, wave at me. The Lord was with him. If the Lord is with you, it doesn't matter where you're at. Oh, you are blessed. Well, that brings us then to the fact that Joseph is thrown in prison unjustly. He's falsely accused by his slave master's wife who tried to seduce him, and he would have nothing to do with it. But she accused him of rape, and so he was, or attempted rape, and was thrown into prison. But while he was there, something happened. He accurately interpreted the dreams of two of Pharaoh's officers. One was a cupbearer. That's the person closest to the Pharaoh who would drink from the cup so that if somebody tried to poison the Pharaoh, he would die in his place. And the baker who was responsible for all the food. These were important people. Both of them, for some reason, had been thrown into prison. And they both had dreams the same night, and they were quite disturbed by the dream because they didn't understand it. And by this time, Joseph had been given the prison to administrate, even though he was a prisoner himself. And he saw them and began to question. And they said, well, we had these dreams. The cupbearer shared his dreams first, and, and Joseph interprets it. He said, in three days, you will be restored to your position. Well, that encouraged the baker to tell him his dream. 
except the interpretation of the baker's dream wasn't like the interpretation of the cupbearer's dream. Joseph said, in three days, you'll be executed. And it happened exactly what he said. As the cupbearer was leaving, Joseph said, remember me. And he said, yeah, I will, except he forgot. And two years passed since the time he'd interpreted the two dreams in prison. Now, I want you to grab onto that because something happens at the end of that two years. Joseph is now 30 years old. He's been a slave now for 13 years. He's 30 years old. In fact, it's the same time when Jesus began his ministry. Very interesting. Now, what happens is that <clears throat> Joseph is elevated to become the second most powerful person in Egypt. He moves from the prison to the palace. He moves from a place of insignificance to great power. And it happens like that in one moment. In fact, you say, well, pastor, why would that happen? Well, when you read the story, you begin to realize that it happened in that he was, be he was fulfilling. God was fulfilling the two dreams he gave him. Because those two dreams, in order to be fulfilled, must have had Joseph in a position of power. You'll notice that because he was in that position of power, he saved the Egyptians and his own family from starvation. And thirdly, he fulfilled God's purpose for his life. Now, I want you to notice something. God can elevate anyone he so chooses in a moment's time. You'll notice it's a, it's a common pattern in Scripture. For example... We see in the life of Moses that he encountered a burning bush. That burning bush moved him from being a shepherd in a far-off land to becoming the leader of two million people on their way to Canaan's land, fulfilling a promise that had been given 600 years before to Abraham. Take a look at the story of Gideon. Here Gideon is. The Midianites had been like a swarm of locusts that would come in after the harvest and steal all the food of the Israelites. And Gideon is hiding in a wine press and he's, 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 he's threshing some wheat to give for his family. And an angel appears and calls him a mighty man of valor. It sure didn't look like it then, that's for sure. He was the very opposite of a mighty man of valor. He was hiding just to get a little food for his family. God sees you differently than oftentimes you see yourself. And what would take place as you know the story, God called him to fight the Midianites, not with an army of thousands, but with an army of 300. And when Thousands and thousands of Midianites were overthrown by that army of 300. It was the moment of elevation for Gideon. Take the life of David. You see the same thing. One moment's time. David, as you know, <clears throat> was anointed king probably as a boy. 
So oftentimes some have suggested why David wasn't uh, invited to the special meal that Samuel had come to have with the family of Jesse was because Joseph, uh, Jesse probably had him as an illegitimate son, but I don't think that's the case. I think Josephus, that Jewish historian, probably had it right when he said the reason was, was because David was just a boy. He wasn't a man, and that would be the criteria for being at that banquet. He was probably a boy of 12, 11, or 12 years old. And when, when Samuel had gone through all the sons of Jesse, one of them was supposed to be king, and God said, it's none of them. He asked, "Is there? do you have any other sons? And he said, yeah, there's one, and they brought David, and you know the story. He was anointed king. But it wasn't until a few years later, as probably a teenager, when he was assigned by his father to go to the front lines where the Israelites were fighting the Philistines, and he was to bring cheese and crackers to his, to his brothers who were in the army. And there he sees this mammoth of a man uh, saying horrible things about God, saying horrible things about the armies of God, blaspheming, and he gets angry. And he decides he'll be the champion for Israel. He goes out with a slingshot. You know the story. He kills Goliath. And in that one moment, he's elevated. Everybody say one moment. It's the intersection of the physical and the spiritual. You see, in the physical, it seemed impossible. But when the spiritual intersects with the physical, nothing is impossible. When the eternal comes into time and space, nothing is impossible. Everything shifts. It did for Joseph. It did for Moses. It did for Gideon. It did for David. You say, well, Pastor, what's that have to do with me? Well, every year, at the beginning of the year, I seek the Lord for a word for our church. Last year, as you know, it was press on. And it was a year just like that, of pressing on. We, um, <clears throat> financially, God was kind to us. We, we, we had a, a little bit more that came in this year than last year when you take away the PPP uh, government donation to our church uh, of 1.2 million. We did even better than we did last year. We, however felt the same problem that many companies have felt. We spent probably $5 million more just in expenses this last year than the year before. But in the year before, God had done something. He'd allowed us to put money aside because he had prospered us so strongly. And uh, we were able to continue to press on in spite of the rising cost. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. And in the course of that year, we've continued to grow last year. In spite of the economy, in spite of what was happening, we grew. We're now up, at least from my count, and I could be wrong because I'm having to get counts from all over the world. We're up to about 588 congregations now. We're almost to 600. Give praise to the Lord. We have three more years to hit our goal of 1,200 congregations, and by God's grace, he will allow us to do that. That's why we pray every morning for the 12 vision.
1,200 congregations, 120,000 people by the end of 2025. Any faith in the house today? Any faith in the house? That means you're going to have to multiply. We're going to have to bring in more congregations in Oahu, and our congregation must grow, and it will, by God's grace. But the Lord gave me a word. And the word for this year is elevate. Everybody say elevate. Everybody say this with me. It is time for elevation. Now I want you to say it like you actually really mean it. On three. One, two, three. It's time for elevation. Say it again. It's it is time for elevation. You say, Pastor, how did you get that word? I was reading this passage and it caught my attention that Joseph was two years in prison since the time he interpreted the dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. Now, I, I thought about that. I thought, two years in prison. You see, there was a moment for elevation. The moment was two years from the time he was put in, time that he interpreted the dream. You would have thought that the cupbearer would have said, hey, we got this guy in prison. You need to have him on your team here. He can interpret dreams. I mean, any, any uh, leader would want somebody who had that kind of gifting, of prophetic gifting. But he stayed there for two years. But in that two years' time, something happened. Pharaoh himself had two dreams, and no one could interpret it. And it was because no one could interpret it that finally the cupbearer said, I'm sorry, I blew it. There's a man, there's a Hebrew in prison who interpreted my dreams. He could interpret yours. And that was the moment when Joseph was brought out of the prison into the palace and to become the second most powerful person in this nation. You say, well, what does that have to do with us? Everything, because the enemy tried to put the church in prison by COVID. And it's been around a two-year period where people that, listen, you, you may not understand this, but all the churches in America have lost people. It's by God's grace we're still functioning as a church. God gave me a word on Maui to begin to open extensions, and we have 19 congregations that meet on Maui alone, and we're less than 10% of the population of this. We're about 10% of the population, well, a little bit more, maybe about 15% of the population of Honolulu. And God spoke to me, said there'll be people, and I didn't know COVID was coming, but people wouldn't want to come to a big venue, but they'll go to a smaller venue. And our, our, our life groups, uh, we were up to about seven or 800 life groups, and they declined dramatically. We're now back up to about 600. We're trying to be at 1,000. We were getting excited because we were moving to get to that point. But God in his mercy allowed our church, at least on Maui, and I'm sure it affected it here, but every church in America lost between 30 to 40% of their people. Our speaker at the Purpose Conference, who's been a part of one of the largest churches in America, Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church. They had 7,000 small groups, but COVID knocked out 2,000 of them. And here's the tragedy. It was as though the attack of COVID wasn't simply a pandemic attack. 
It was an attack on the church. You had governors saying stupid stuff like you can't sing. Stupid stuff like you can't meet. And yet this is America. This isn't China. This is America. There, there, there is a very clear right for religious expression. And, and all of a sudden, because fear began to grip our nation, laws and, and our Constitution was kind of thrown out the window. And you had people by fiat just making decisions. And you never knew from one day to the next what the next decision would be. It was an attempt of the enemy to rob the church. Because, let me tell you why. Because he's afraid of this moment. The enemy doesn't know a lot of things, but he does know what's stirring. I believe, our, I believe this is going to be a great time of elevation for God's church. There are some people that never came back. Most of the churches have never recovered from COVID, even till today. And I know pastors of some of the largest churches in America. You say, well, why is that? Well, what happens? People get comfortable watching television in their pajamas, eating breakfast and watching me preach. I don't want to get in my car and drive to church. I can have church right here in my pajamas. And if I don't like what he's preaching, I'll turn the channel. Except you're going to lose out with God. Because God said, do not forsake the assembling together. He said, you're missing out. He said, what am I missing? You're missing out of the opportunity to minister to somebody who may be sitting next to you. And the power of God coming on you to be used to be a blessing to someone. It may be your neighbor sitting next to you in church will have a word of encouragement for you. It may be a prophetic prayer he prays when he joins hands with you. It may be that God will raise you up and use you mightily for his glory. But you're not here in the house. You've allowed things to rob you. And here's what happens. When you begin to disobey the Lord and you forsake the assembling and all church is to you is a message from a preacher, then your heart begins to get cold and the fire no longer burns. It's like a person who never spends time with his family, but they talk on the phone every once in a while but they're not together. They don't do life together. God never invented the church for it to be like a movie theater where you come and just hang out and watch something and then go home. It is the body. Everybody say the body of Christ. It is the fellowship of the Holy Ghost. It is God's community. It is his ark in a world of flooding. It is, it is the place where God has called his people to learn life by being one, his body. It's easy to have, <laughs> it's easy to have all the answers until you have your own children. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't have children. Oh man, here's all you got to do. Then you have your own children. Take it from me. You know, my, I, I had three 
different children. Very different. Extremely different. Now, I had all the answers before I had children. And then when I had children, oh, Jesus, help me, Jesus. Now, what was God doing by giving me children? Well, he was blessing me. He was blessing me big time. But one of his blessings was teaching me his ways and what to do with children so they could grow and love him and serve him with all their heart. And I'm thankful that he taught us. I'm thankful all three of our children are loving Jesus and all my grandkids are loving Jesus. I never asked any of them to be in the ministry. It was God's call in their life. And that's what the church is. It's an opportunity. It's the, it's, the, it's the incubator by which you really know how to love. Because you have to deal with people. And some of those people you don't want to be around. <laughs> and yet God shows you how to love people. How to love people. And how to be loved. Hallelujah. So. God is bringing his church, this church, to a place of elevation. You say, well, how do I know this is going to happen? Well, let me give you a few thoughts. Number one, if you're going to be elevated this year, you have to pattern your life like Joseph did. What, what were some of the aspects of Joseph's life? Well, number one, he was holy. He walked holy. Everybody say it with me. He walked what? Holy. Holy. Now, look, listen to this. Here's a guy who this wealthy, attractive woman is wanting to seduce him. And here's what he says. He says, how can I do this wickedness and sin against God? People don't even think that way today. They go, oh, free sex. Nothing's free. You're brain dead if you think it is. God never intended for sex to be used outside of a covenant marriage between a man and a woman for life. And when it is, it becomes destructive. But the most important thing was Joseph's sense. How can I do this against God? We don't even bring God into the picture. We think, well, you know, my boss doesn't need this money and I can borrow it for a while. You've just stolen money. Well, I don't, need to, I don't need to work 40 hours. I'll work hard 20 hours and get paid for 40. No, you just stole. You don't think God knows that? Oh, you know, I'm going to just flirt with this girl here because, you know, my wife doesn't give me the attention I need. And Yeah, you're a jerk. And you're going to get destroyed. You're lusting. It's evil. I mean, I can go down the list. And by the time I finished, all of you say, oh, woe is me, I'm undone. <laughs> That's not the purpose of this message. It's just to say, if you want the elevation this year, be holy. Did you know I pray almost every day that God will expose evil in my life and expose evil in our church and expose evil in our nation? You know I pray that way? Because unless evil is exposed... We cannot be healed. And it's a dangerous prayer. You know, I don't want everybody to know anything that, you know, I may have done wrong and all this. And, but, but I'll tell you what, it sure does, it sure does help me. 
to think about what did I just say to that person? What did I just do? My attitude, oh, wow, it really stunk. And am I willing to repent? Am I willing to be broken before the Lord? I'm just thankful I got a great wife. Boy, she just goes, and it's over. I mean, she just puts her finger on an area of my life, and I go, boy, Holy Ghost, that was sure good. Thank you for answering my prayer. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I, I was a youth pastor in Wilmington, California. This is years ago, <clears throat> about 50 years ago. And I, um, I, was, boy, I was praying in my office. Oh, God, expose my shortcomings. Expose it, Lord. Change me. I want to be more like you. I walked out of the office. And the pastor's wife, great pastor, wife was tremendous corners me and she starts giving me a list of all my failures I went back in the office and I said thank you Jesus how many want to be holy let me see your hand pastor are you sure I should raise my hand yes raise your hand how many want to be holy you want to be elevated that's the number one criteria secondly he persevered in serving. Even when he was a slave for Potiphar, he served so well he became the administrator for his whole property. When he was thrown in prison, he served and served so well he became over the prison. Friend, serving is not something you just do if you have time. Serving is an attitude. When you have opportunities to serve, don't just look at it and say, well, I'm busy. Listen to me. Listen to me. Did you know they did a survey, and, and just for men, I don't know about women, but just for men. Men watch 29 hours a week of television. That's the average. That's the average. That doesn't include Facebook, Twitter, all the other nonsense we have going on today. Now, I, think about it. 20, oh, I don't have time to serve. Yeah, because 29 hours of it. Oh, I can't come to church because I'm so busy. Well, let me see. Okay, you came to church today. Let's suppose you took two and a half hours, drive time, everything, to come to church. And you came tonight. That's five hours. And, and, and then you come Wednesday night. That's 7.5 hours. Let's suppose you're in a life group. Maybe you're in two life groups. Maybe that, that's 10 hours a week. You still got 19 hours left to watch TV. Don't give me this nonsense. I've been a pastor a long time, you can tell. <laughs> Persevere in serving. Thirdly, he used his gifts. God gave him an unusual gift of administration. You see it everywhere he goes. But secondly, he had a gift of dream interpretation. He could know what God was saying. Listen, to hear the voice of God and to know what God wants you to do is one of the greatest gifts one could ever have. Everything you see around you has come about by one thing, hearing the voice, hearing the voice of God and obeying. If I don't hear from God, I'm in trouble and so are you. It's the same for you. You need to hear the voice of God for yourself, for your family, for your life for your business, 
for whatever it is you're doing for his church. Fourthly, he walked humbly before the Lord. He walked humbly before the Lord. It's always amazing to me when you read there in chapter 41, verse 16. We read it as we were reading the text. It said, so Joseph, here, let me just kind of read the content. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I, I have had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that you can interpret a dream to interpret it. You can understand a dream to interpret it. Boy, now what a statement. You're the man. Now normally, somebody who's just been told by the most powerful person on the planet, you're the man who can interpret my dream. And you go, yeah, I'm the man. That's not what Joseph did. Listen to what Joseph said. It is not in me. I can't do anything. God will give Pharaoh an answer here. Think about that. What he did very clearly was he limited his understanding of who he was. He was nothing without God's intervention in his life. One of the biggest problems God has in elevating people is that if he elevates you, you become proud and you have the same collapse as Satan did. Satan was kicked out of heaven because of his pride. Jesus said. So you've been elevated. Woo! You got a title. You got this. You got that. Man, you lay hands on people, they get healed. Wow! I'm the next evangelist who will change the world. Stop already. Every Christian ought to be able to lay hands on the sick and they recover. Now, I'm not minimizing there's a gift of healing, the gifts of healing, it says in the scriptures. And I'm not minimizing the power of somebody getting healed. I get excited every time somebody gets healed in Canaan. And many have been healed. And I have many friends of mine who have a tremendous gift in the gifts of healing. But friend, all of it comes from God. So you walk humbly. When God elevates you this year, you walk humbly before the Lord. It is he who has done it. That brings me then to the final thing. He glorified God in everything. Listen to what he says in chapter 45. He's talking to his brothers now. And in verse 6 and 7, he says, For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years of which will neither be plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you. Who sent him? Who sent him? God. Now listen to what he said. For you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh, the Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Everything you possess, everything you have, everything you are is a gift from God. You say, well, I earned it. No, it was God who gave you the opportunity. It was God who gave you the strength. It was God who keeps your heart beating. It's God who gives you every breath. Oh, yes, you will be rewarded for what you do. That's the mercy of God that he does that. It's like... shared it a thousand times but 
One of the things that motivates me is a picture, and I've shared it before. I don't know if it came in a dream or vision, but all I know is that I see myself standing before the Lord on Judgment Day. He asked me a question, why didn't you do what I told you to do? And I said, well, I didn't have the money, I didn't have the time, I didn't have the people. And he turns to me and says, if you would have only tried, I would have helped you. Everything you see around you has come that way. We've never had money, didn't have money to buy this place, didn't have money to build a cathedral, didn't have money to start the extensions, didn't have money, didn't have money to pay the first staff person. They didn't even have money to pay me. Everything you see, a little church of a hundred, now thousands and thousands, a, a, <laughs> a little building worth about 150000 in 1980 is now a church that has almost $200 million worth of blessings. It's all God. It's all God. It's all God. Don't you ever forget it. breath that we breathe. How can we take credit for that? How can we take credit for the life we have? And yet the amazing thing is that he rewards us. Think about it. He gives you the vision. He, he, he gives you all the resources to accomplish the vision. And then he rewards you for doing the vision. He does the whole thing and then we get the reward. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But that's the mercy and grace of God. He is to be glorified in every. Would you give him glory today? Give him glory. Give him glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's going to elevate this church this year. It's his time. We're going to move forward in the vision in greater measure. Many of you are going to be elevated in ministries. You've been on the outside looking in. It's time to get in because God wants to elevate you. Many of your businesses are going to be elevated this year. Your family is going to be elevated. You say, what do you mean? There's been members of your family, relatives, who've kind of despised you because you are a Christian. And every time you're around them, they get convicted. You're not doing the junk you used to do, which they're still doing. So they kind of have their little way around you where they make a point where they, you're not as welcome as you once were. You say, oh, does that happen? I know it happens. I had a young man who got freed from drugs. He was a drug addict. He was a seller of drugs. He got radically saved. His family rejected him to such a degree that he finally ended up losing out with God and going back. They loved him better as a drug addict than they did as a believer. That's how crazy some people are. But I'm going to tell you something. This is the year of elevation. This is the year when family people, your family is going to stop for a moment and say, wait a minute, just like the Israelites lived in Goshen and all the plagues came on the rest of Egypt, but it didn't touch Goshen. There's a distinction God's going to make between his people and the people of the world. And those people are going to look at you this year and they're going to go, whoa, what's with you? How is it that you're so blessed? How is it that you, you still are happy and joyous? How is it? God's going to elevate you. And there will be an elevation in every aspect of your life. But there's a criteria. 
Everything in God has a big if. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Be a Joseph. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And for more great content, go to kcoahu.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.